Hey, all you women out there, my audience, what would it be like if we celebrated each other, if we supported each other, if we lifted each other up? Who would we have to be inside in order to be that person? Well, we're going to have a conversation with Ginny Robertson today, who is the founder of the On Purpose Women Global Community and has been doing this for a couple of decades now helping women to support women, to be real, to be powerful, to stand, to speak. Join us to find out more. Soul Nectar Show, the Soul Nectar Show. You're invited, delighted, to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. Join us on this beautiful journey. Soul Nectar Show. Soul Nectar Show. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a deeper understanding of ourselves and this world that we live in and how we can be in right relationship with it. In the Andes Mountains, they call that AINI, A-Y-N-I, which is right relationship. How can we be in right relationship with all that is ourselves and others? This is Carrie Hummingbird, uh, your host here, and I always love having these conversations week after week because we're able to illuminate uh, another aspect of our collective conditioning that causes suffering and struggle and competition and all those things that we wish we wouldn't experience. And we're turning a corner, you know, we're turning a corner into the age of Aquarius. Pluto just aligned with Aquarius on January 20th for its... um you know, almost permanent stationing for 20 years. Of course, we're going to have a little retrograde in September for a couple of months while it goes back into Capricorn just to show us what we missed about, you know, the problems in our society. And then we're going to move full steam ahead into Pluto and Aquarius. It's going to be time for humanitarianism. It's going to be time for community, working together, supporting each other, having each other's backs, you know, and that's going to require deconditioning a lot of this separatism that we have been raised with for generations, been conditioned to think that, well, you have to have your own back, or if you're a woman, you have to have a man, or, you know, you have to compete over men, or if you do have your own, you know, your own life, then you compare yourself with everybody else and denigrate yourself if you don't look as pretty as you want to look, or you don't have the body you want, or your profession, you're not as successful as somebody else that you admire. And this is all the stuff that we are cleaning up now. Because in order to have that grandmother's hoop, that sacred web, the women always had the backbone of the community, held everything together and supported everybody in their lessons and their wisdom. In order to recreate that, we have a lot of rewiring to do. And now is the time. So get excited with it, everyone. And if you need a place to do that, inner medicine training is available. Uh, We always have groups starting in the spring and the summer, the late summer. And so check out uh, carriehummingbird.com and check that out. K-E-R-R-I hummingbird.com. And so for today, we're going to have a conversation about celebrating women and building communities again. And there is somebody on my show today that has been already doing this for a really long time, a couple decades or more. And we want to celebrate that it is possible for women entrepreneurs to have deep connection and to support each other, to be seen and heard, to share their unique gifts, and to do it in community. So we're here today with Ginny Robertson. Welcome, Ginny. Hey, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just so excited you're here because you're already you're already doing it. You already have been doing it. And we're just so excited to hear some of your lessons. So for those of you just getting to know Ginny, Ginny is the founder of the On Purpose Woman Global Community and the On Purpose Woman Magazine. And she's also the host of Real Women, Real Purpose Talk on YouTube. And she's an, a speaker, writer, and the lead author on the book, On Purpose Woman, a complete holistic guide for women entrepreneurs. And I was particularly interested in having you on, Ginny, and I think I shared this with you after my brief stint at being the president of one of the women's professional organizations. I won't say which one, but I was like trying to change the culture 
to have women be interested in each other rather than, you know, relational, rather than so transactional and then, you know, supportive and listening rather than competitive. And boy, it sure was a challenge to do it within that framework. And so you and I were talking about, yeah, you got to have the right framework. So how did you get into all of these beautiful gifts that you're sharing in the world now? Why did you even get started with it? What was your journey? Well, before I start that, let me just say that those things that you read off in the beginning of all those things that we are leaving behind, they're exhausting, aren't they? I got tired just listening, all those things that we as women worry about and you know, the comparison, the jealousy, the, the competition, it's just exhausting. And so my background is in corporate finance and I was one of those women in the 70s who was going up the ladder, banging her head into the ceiling. And there were only a few of us and a lot of men. And so I really, I believe that we were kind of pitted against each other in many ways, like because what would have happened if we'd all gotten on the same page and actually united instead of competing and, you know, just, I mean, terrible things were being said back in the days. And I probably said some of them myself about women and working for women and women who got ahead. And it was just not a good time. And so I didn't have a lot of women friends, a lot of women I trusted. I got along with men much better than I did women. And so I left that environment when I turned 40 to do something else, which was to go work for a transformational seminar company as one of their leaders, one of their facilitators. And during the course of that time and some other work that I was doing, I met some phenomenal women. So I decided in 1998 to throw a party at my house. Now, this is before we all had internet. I didn't have it yet. And so it was handwritten invitations to a bunch of women. And I said, I know a lot of really cool women. I think you do too. Invite them, show up at my house. And it was a Saturday afternoon. And the other only other thing it said was bring food. So 60 some women showed up at my house that Saturday. And it was just amazing. And lots of stuff was happening there. And I didn't even know what was happening there, but I knew I really liked it, whatever it was. And so I did it again in in another quarter. I was going to do it once a year. I was telling everybody, oh, this is so great. I like ritual. Let's do this every year. And they're going, don't wait a year. There's something magical happening here. So I decided to do it every quarter. I think the second quarter we had like 14 women and then we had more of a circle experience. They were all amazing. And I had two kind of ahas, if you will, two big observations during that time. One is that women were connecting and I was connecting with the women in a way that I'd never experienced before. And there was a lot of authenticity in the room. Women were talking about things that mattered to them. And I mean, it's fine to talk about your new purse, but not all the time and not, you know, they were talking about things that mattered. And some of it was sad stuff and some of it was happy stuff and some of it was bragging stuff, which I always encouraged. And they were really just interacting in this way that was new to me. Now, in retrospect, what I know for sure is that that's how we women network when left to our own devices. That's how we connect with each other. We're not trying to find this, follow those masculine rules that many of us were taught in the early days of business that, uh, you know, be armed with your business cards, even the words armed with your business cards. I mean, I don't know if you know those rules. So masculine. Yeah. So masculine. So hunter. Oh, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's what it was about. Let me go find somebody who wants what I have. Let me track them down and shame them into giving me a meeting, you know? And so, you know, there were these rules, how my business cards are in my left pocket, their business cards are in my right. And the idea was to give out as many cards as you can. And so that was what I thought networking was. And what I realized is what we were doing in my family room was networking, woman style networking. And this was pretty fascinating and I loved it. The thing that I didn't love was that I gave every woman an opportunity to say a few words about herself at every meeting. And there were women who had such a difficult time doing it. They were women who had been, well, they were, they, they couldn't use their big voice. They were tiny little voices looking down at the floor, fidgeting, not maybe good at something and couldn't say it out loud. Some of them were entrepreneurs. They all weren't, but there was just this sadness that came over me. And also I got a little ticked off because I'm thinking somebody has fed these women a lie and they bought it. So what would happen if I take this out of my house, create an organization around it and give women an opportunity to show up and practice being who they really are? And that's what I did a year later from the date that we started. I opened the doors to this new organization called On Purpose Networking for Women. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to bring women together. So it morphed in different ways. And there were the core of it, though, never shifted, that it's a safe place for women 
to show up and be who they really are or practice being who they really are if they're not her yet. 2000 is when it all started again. That's so powerful. And we all need that encouragement, that confidence. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, Carrie Hummingbird, you're a speaker. You're out here doing all these podcast interviews and you're interviewing people. And then you go get interviewed yourself. You don't have any issues of confidence. Yeah, I still do. I work on it. I have groups that I go to for support that help me work through the things that, you know, every time we up level, right? Every time we go after the next bigger thing or we get expanded into it just by the universe saying, hey, that was good. You did that. Now, what about this? We get insecure, right? We have that imposter syndrome and we don't know, you know, we look at the people that are already doing it and we say, well, they're already doing it. How can I, you know, I can't, they're already doing it. The positions are taken and we have this like limited scarcity mindset, right? But that's not really true, is it? I mean, we all have our divine gifts and I think that we're divine designed, right? To fulfill those gifts and that there'll be opportunities for us to, if we keep following, you've been doing this long enough. Like what happens when a bunch of women get together and they start supporting each other to actually Mm -hmm. speak what's true? It's kind of magical. <laughs> it's magical. What happens though on an even more practical level is that everyone rises. I was really clear in the beginning that I did want to attract a lot of women who really needed support and help that deeply. I wanted women who were already kind of moving along and then we could have, have enough of us to like support the other women who were coming in who really didn't have any confidence yet, you know, because I couldn't have handled a whole room full of women like that. That would have been too much for me. And so I wanted us to be able to lift other women up and help them see examples. But like you say, you know, we're only just a little bit ahead of each other. You know, we're always learning and I'm only just a little bit ahead of that person who has something else to learn. So maybe they can learn something from me and there are other people a little bit ahead of me. So it was mainly just watching That's been one of the most beautiful gifts for these almost 24 years is just watching the shifts that can happen when women feel supported, safe, secure, and seen. I mean, the big thing is seen and heard because I think we all really want to be seen and heard, but I only work with women. So I don't, I think, you know, everybody wants to be seen and heard. I think it's one of our deeper desires, but, you know, so many women have been shut down. So many women have been told to behave know, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. I grew up in an environment, you know, I was um, a precocious little girl and I was a show off, if you will. And I would entertain if there was more than one person in the room, you can count on me to entertain them. And up to a point of about the age seven or eight, it was my mother thought it was cute. And then something shifted and all of a sudden it stopped showing off. You always want to be there, send it in and settle down. You're getting too big for your britches. And I took those messages in and I, I still think kept the essence of me, but I was smart enough to know that I had to play a game now, that I had to behave. But I think there was always a part of me that I never lost. That was back there going, one day, you know, one day when you're out from under this, you'll, you'll be you again. I didn't have those words for it, but there was always something underneath that, that, uh, that I knew would support me. But man, as long as I was living at home, I was a good girl and I followed the rules and I didn't step too out of line. And I, you know, just those ideas. Of And, you know, I graduated from high school in 1969, so things were quite different, even though they were better than 1959, they were still quite different. And, you know, wasn't given a lot of encouragement from the powers that be to do anything really extravagant or big with a career, you know, well, you're a teacher, not that that's not big, but you know what I mean? There was no law, what do you mean lawyer, you know, women don't want to go to law school. And that was even being said in 1969. And so when we started then getting to play in the big field, and there were still a few of us, you know, that's when the competition started, really. I don't remember competing with my friends in high school, with my girlfriends, maybe for a boy or something, you know, like, but I don't remember being jealous of them, or they got an award and I didn't. I remember being happy for them. And that that shifted as we went into this corporate environment. And I really, I was talking to someone earlier today, and it's like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. But I really think that a lot of that was contrived to keep us down, kind of like the um, in the civil rights movement, the divide and conquer kind of idea that if we keep them separate, they won't realize what power they have if they're all together. And I think we scared them. I think women as a collective scared them. And so let's just have them going head to head, fight for that one spot and let's keep it that way because then we can still stay in power. I definitely 
know that people think like that because look at marketing and advertising. It's specifically done to sell products, right? So yeah, there are people that think that way. And and so it's naive to think that that wouldn't be done. Yeah, but we don't want to focus on that because we can build what we want. And as we heal ourselves, right? You were saying 1969, you were graduating from high school. That was the year I was born. And I was born to a feisty mom. My natural father that she was with at the time, he had an accounting job, so finance. And they had all these little parties that the executives or whatever the CPAs in the business would like all get together. And the wives were supposed to come with like their little white gloves. There was like a whole handbook for how the women were supposed to behave to come to these gatherings with the little white gloves and everything. And my mom said, I didn't want to do that. So I got a job and I said, I can't, I'm working. I'm sorry. I can't come to this little gatherings with you and have tea. So yeah, my mom was just like, what is this? But see, my mom was the one who's like, what is this? When she was growing up in Kermit, Texas, going to the Baptist church and, you know, and then going, how come there's a different bathroom, you know, for color and I can't go into color bathroom. I like the rainbow. (laughs) My mom was that child. (laughs) So I got in trouble in Sunday school myself for asking the wrong questions. I can relate to your mom. We're probably makers the same age. Yeah. (laughs) You probably really like each other. You know, so here's the thing is like, we had to step into our power, right? As women. And at this, and gosh, when we start to actually speak the truth, it's really messy at first, isn't it? Very messy. And then we, when we step into our power, really clutch and grab it and, you know, like it's mine, you know, because I haven't had any. And then now we got to learn how to hold all of that in a community as long with those of us who have kind of, okay, I have my own power. It's cool. You know, like this person's just like having compassion, you know, for the journey as people step into their power, as people step into their, their gifts and trust themselves and speak their truth and not take it personally that people say some stuff that's a little off the rails sometime, right? Cause they're learning how to use their voice. Is that all part of like your community and how you handle things? Like, how did you address that in your community? Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, I didn't have any idea what this was going to be. I just knew I wanted to create this space. And my very first meeting, again, I think there's something magical about 60 something. There were 60 some women who showed up. And I remember that uh, there was this, there were these two women. I'd done this kind of expo event called the Women's Show or something at our local fairgrounds. And I had had a booth there, my very first booth, and I was giving out my pamphlets. Remember, there was no internet, so everything was like on paper. I don't think it's impressive that I got 60-some women to anything without the internet when I think about that now. But these two women were there, and I had had food. We, My friend was actually the clinical director of the local school for massage, and I rented their space, and we put tablecloths on the massage tables and had like buffet, like finger foods and all. And then I rented tables and chairs. And this one of the women came up to me. Well, actually, they both did, but the one was the spokesperson. And she said, your brochure said buffet. This is not a buffet. This is an appetizer table. And for $20, I want meat. And she was mad and she was loud. And I noticed everybody's watching. It's like the room got silent. Everyone was watching. And I didn't know what to say because I'm like, oh, she hates it. Oh, no. And everybody's watching. What am I going to do here? And I just kind of fumbled and I said, I'm really sorry you're unhappy with the food. I said, but for one thing, you know, I'm a vegetarian, so there will never be meat. I said, but why don't I do this? Why don't I just, oh, and her friend didn't have a job and she couldn't afford to come. And and I said, why don't I just refund you and your friend's money? And the only thing that you've lost out on tonight is your time. And I was being kind of pleasant, you know, I was pleasant. And she didn't want that. She just walked away. And, you know, I had spent a good deal of time in the grocery store that morning buying the food. And I had decided I was going, I had all these like diet sodas and stuff in my cart. And I looked at it and said, I don't want to serve this crap. And I went and I got like good juices and things like that. And I heard her ask someone where she could get a real, like a real drink. And she went out to the, where the school had the vending machine and got a Coke. And so, you know, instead of just thinking, okay, I don't think she may not be my people. I took it all so, uh, And so I was the speaker that night because it's my first event and I'm doing a talk on authenticity and a perfect setup sitting here like this, the entire, she stayed the whole night and I got through it and I got home and the next morning I was working with the coach and she couldn't come that night, but she worked with me a lot. And I told her what happened. And she said, this is a story that I'm getting to the point here about this is how I've dealt with everything since then. She said, Jenny, we talked a lot and you have some big plans. So let me just say this. If you can't handle somebody criticizing the food that you serve, how will you ever handle them talking about who they think you are? Such a good point. 
Such a good point. And it was challenging because I had, you know, there was one woman who I really liked. She was a friend, but every after every meeting, she would call me to tell me what I'd done wrong. And I was still too new in this to know that that wasn't okay, that I didn't have to take everyone's opinion under advisement because I really wasn't clear yet what I was, what I was. I wasn't clear yet what I was offering. I wasn't clear who I was in it. And so I was thinking, okay, I'll I'll think about that. Okay. Oh, thank you. You know, but it was all part of the learning. So it was so great because I got to evolve into her, into that person. And I also was clear in the beginning that it was not going to be a nonprofit, that it was not going to be a volunteer organization, that women volunteer too much. And I wanted women, I had staff, I wanted women to show up and spend their time having a good time. Also, though, it meant I could do things the way I wanted to do them. Obviously, if somebody said something and I thought, oh, maybe I could do it, maybe that would be a good idea. Once I was a little more invested and knew that I was doing on, on the right track, wasn't that I closed off to all those ideas. But there was this initial idea that I always felt kind of like it's because we're a group of women that we can just say anything we want to each other. Even if we're not even, I don't even know you, but I can, you know, would that have been done in a room full of men? Not that way, I didn't think. And so that told me even more that we needed these safe spaces to be able to start to heal and to start to find, I guess, our power. Because if I'm feeling powerful, I don't have to criticize your food. I can decide not to come back if it's not for me. Or I could ask for a refund if I'm clear. This isn't really what I expected. I'd like a refund. And I would have said, absolutely, of course. So it's that old adage that says hurt people hurt people. And as a lot of women, as women, we we had a lot of hurt and, and hadn't really learned how to be with women that we weren't somehow in competition with, or like me, to actually trust women in that arena. Yeah, and just show up authentic with your heart open, right? knowing that there right. could be daggers flying across the room at any time, right? Because people are wounded, and, and my phrase is wounded people do wounded things. Mm. And that's how I made sense of it. It was like, okay, you know, that the answer is empowerment. Because like you said, when you have your own power, you don't need to go out there trying to get it from somebody else. And then there's no competition. And I love like, because I follow the Gene Keys, Richard Rudd, and my audience knows about the Gene Keys. And it's like, tells us all about our soul's curriculum. And it talks about how eventually we'll all be part of a synarchy. So our natural gifts and talents will place us exactly in the right profession and job, you know, in the future where like, we're just, we're doing exactly what we're meant to do that lights us up and makes us happy. And when everyone's aligned in the right spot, there's no more like, I want your spot. I think I like your life better than mine, you know? (laughs) And I was the queen of that, you guys. Like, seriously, I was a queen of looking out to see like who had a life better than mine. And I wanted the best life. So like, I was the queen of looking at everybody else to see in, you know, whatever I was inspired to do. If I was inspired inspired for a while to be an artist, I would look at, see how is all the other artists doing? Like, who's doing the best and what do they paint? And And not that I would change what I'm painting, but like, how are they selling it and how, you know, how... I would compare myself and then drag myself under the the bus, you know, if I didn't compare adequately to my perfectionist standards. There's so much that we need to heal as women so we can just be happy with who we are and celebrate ourselves, right? So how do you support people? Because this is a networking organization, right? And I feel like women entrepreneurs are probably also perfectionists, just guessing. How do you overcome some of the perfectionism and the comparison? Did you have to establish some ground rules for your events and for your organization? I did. I did. Let me just say I'm a recovering perfectionist in recovery. It still rears its little head every once in a while. And I start. And also, you know, when you're in perfection mode, you're in comparison mode because obviously I'm not measuring up. So it's a process. And I think it'll, it may be a lifelong process, but I notice it now when it comes up and I can shift it in the moment when I start to realize that. I have a great friend who who has always said done is better than perfect. And so sometimes I'll step back and go, this is done. Stop. It's done. You know, I'm not, I don't need to tweak it anymore. I don't need to do anymore. But I think the initial thing, the thing that I most preached, if you will, I was told that by some of my members and they, and they were said in a very loving way. I had read the Celestine Prophecy. Remember that book or you weren't around when it was such a good book. Yeah, you were probably around when it was put out. It was the mid-70s, I think. Such a good book. I've read it a couple of times. And they have a movie on it now too. So that was cool. Well, I personally thought that it was one of the most poorly written books I'd ever read. But the insights were amazing. So I would like, I just wanted the book, the insights. Just give me the poster with the insights. You know, but it was a story. I didn't like the story. I didn't think it did enough for me. I haven't read it in years. I may have read the insights a lot. 
And uh, one of the insights is, I'm going to paraphrase here, notice the people whose path crosses yours. They're there for a reason. Otherwise, they would have taken a different route or path or whatever. And that struck me these years later when I started this group. And I really, I, I said that at every meeting, you know, this is about connection. In fact, I even encourage people not to pull out a business card unless they were asked for one to actually just have a conversation. See, I said, your business cards are expensive. Why would you just throw them at anybody, right? Which, especially those of you with pretty two sides and collar, why would you just throw them at everybody for them to go home and, in the recycling bin, right? And so this idea that notice, pay attention. We're here for a reason. I may never know what it is, why you and I connect. I may know 10 years down the road. It may be that we connected so I could connect you to someone else. I mean, we just don't know. But if I act as though there's something magical that can happen here, I'm paying attention. I've just um, interviewed Laura DeFranco earlier today, and that's who actually connected you and me. And we talked about networking for introverts, even if you hate it. And we talked about this thing around uh, what I like to call conscious networking and generous listening is where we're actually just concentrating on this person across from us. So I gave the women in those early days many opportunities to practice that, actually get comfortable with that. And many of them were had been entrepreneurs for some time. A lot of them had never been in the corporate arena. They'd never had like a traditional corporate job. So they hadn't learned the more masculine way to do it, which is that let me go in here and see who I can talk into something or go in with that energy of I need a new client. I may not say it out loud, but you're going to feel it. You're going to feel that yuckiness from me. You're going to feel hunted. Feel hunted. I've never really thought of it that way. But yes, arm yourself, right? Absolutely. I think that's brilliant. And so that was the premise of the group is this whole idea of notice the people, notice the women. They're here for a reason. Otherwise, they would be somewhere else right now. And it doesn't mean everybody's your lifelong friend. It doesn't mean everybody's a fit. There are a lot of women who were in my presence who never came back because it wasn't a fit for them. But I gave them every opportunity to find out if it was. And some women, I remember hearing from a friend one time who was a member of the community. She had a friend come and I said, how how's your friend? What'd she think? Oh, she thought we had too much fun. <laughs> really? I, yeah, yeah. And it's fun because to, fun doesn't lead to results or something? Or I think so. We weren't serious enough. And that was another thing that I modeled was, this is not a tea party. This is not the time when we come together just to chat. We're here to network our businesses. And we're here to have fun. Why would I do this if it wasn't fun, right? And we're here to support each other. We're here to laugh. We're here to have just a really good time. But for some people, depending on their inner makings, inner workings, I guess, it looked like we weren't serious. And so if we're not taking this seriously, then it might not be a fit for her. And it probably wasn't a fit for her because she was in that mindset of they're not seriously doing business. But we were. We were. In the Gene Keys, I have seriousness in my chart, the shadow of seriousness in my culture. And the culture is the thing that attracts your tribe. And when you're serious, everyone goes, mm. no, thanks. <laughs> and it's when you're delighted that people go, oh, she's lit. I want to know what she's doing. So you were totally onto it. The energy of seriousness, like take this seriously, is like you can take it to heart. You can be passionate and have fun. And that actually is more alluring. It's more attractive when you're delighted by what you're doing and you want to share it with people. Delighted is such a delight. I just love that word because yes, there's an energy of delight. There's an energy of, you know, just exuberance. I mean, I remember, you know, walking into these rooms and the buzzing, just the, you know, the women, nobody was like sitting at their table, just kind of like, well, there were no phones back then so when I first started. So nobody was reading their phone, but, you know, it was just this super connection going on. And women who knew somebody who introducing them, oh, let me, my friend, let me introduce my friend. She's really great at that. You know, there was this mutual connection, mutual, what's the word that we're talking about here today? Mutual support, mutual admiration. This woman's really good. And, you know, even today, I give women an opportunity. Right now, we only have one meeting in person. We're doing eight a month on Zoom. But I give two women, the first two to raise their hand, an opportunity to shout out another woman. She doesn't have to even be in the room with us in the Zoom room, but she has to be someone they met through the community. And, you know, why are they shouting her out? And typically, it's about they had an experience with her or she modeled something that they really appreciated. And if they're not there... I will go let them know that they were shouted out because don't we all want that? And it's not necessarily about, oh, you're so good at what you do. It's like, oh, I so appreciate who you are. 
So it's less about what you do and about who you be, right? I mean, that's the shift. You know, I've been reading this book called Sacred Economy by Charles Eisenstein and practicing its principles. And the principles are moving away from transaction into trust. And that, I think, epitomizes my journey with, with leading the women's group. And it sounds like yours is like, is leaning into trust again, to trust each other, to trust each other, to have our backs, to trust each yeah. other, not to gossip poorly about us. But if you're going to gossip, make it good gossip. That's what I would qualify right. that as good gossip. Shout right? us out, right? Yeah. Shout us out, like celebrate us. And yeah, I love that. And so when you're talking about making us safe, for example, do you also have confidentiality? Did you address confidentiality in any of the meetings or things like that? I mean, gossip is such a mm-hmm. terrible thing to experience. And I think most of us as women have experienced gossip, right? People gossiping about us. And mm-hmm. this is linked into that projection you were talking about, you know, where you're the leader of the group and people project their negative, I think, negative mommy issues, you know, onto whoever the, the leader of the group is. It's just part of what I do for transformation, right? So I just accept that that's just part of the thing. It's part of the archetype. But like, you don't have to take it personally. But at the same time, as a facilitator of a group of women of a, of a process, we can also set ground rules, you know, that helps people to understand you know, our expectations or our, our values, our value system, our common values. And if we can all align to that, I think things work out better. That's such an interesting question. And as I'm sitting here trying to come up with a really great answer, I realized that I never used, I had some ground rules, which I'll talk about in a minute, but the idea of no gossiping, I guess I never thought it, it needed to be said because it wasn't happening. Now that's was- really cool. I want to celebrate that. Yeah. And at least in my presence, it was nobody ever come to me and said, well, you know, I remember somebody questioning something one time she was a guest and she wanted to know what somebody's story was. I think she was, she was implying that this person might not have been born a woman. What's her story? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you, and I said, I think it'd be a good idea to go ask her. Why don't you go ask her and see what she, and go ask her. And the woman never came back because I went home and said, she's, she doesn't need to come back. You know, but maybe that's what it is, is that, you know, you demonstrated enough that you weren't going to answer for somebody else or tell right. a story about somebody without their presence or have a conversation about somebody without them in the room. Yeah. And I went out of my way and because, you know, when I started this, I, I was, I still am, I was still human and I would sometimes catch myself. I started asking myself, but before I, does that need to be said? I, I love Wayne Dyer's thing about, you know, before you say anything, ask yourself, I think it's three questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? And I remember the third one, those two are enough, but it, oh, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Because sometimes, you know, I just want to like complain about somebody to somebody else just to be heard. And I realized this is not, I'm not asking for solution. I just want somebody to agree with me on how terrible that is what she did. So I, I did my best work actually running this group because I had to step back and go, I'm not going to do that. If I'll go home and tell my husband, you know, if I have to tell anybody, but typically I don't have to tell anybody if I'm in that mindset or I I ask myself, what's my intention in sharing this? Well, my intention is to get agreement on how awful it was. That's not supporting me. That's not supporting. And why would I burden the other person with that information? I don't like it when people burden me with gossip. So why would I do that? I used to do that all the time when I was, you know, younger and less skilled and less masterful. I would want to be heard, like you were talking about, and I would want to tell the story to have multiple people affirm me in my perspective, right? And the perfect way to describe it. Perfect. <laughs> it's yes. just so torturous for people close to me. Or I would even tell a stranger. You know, if it was something else, I'd be like, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And I would totally rope somebody into my story that has nothing to do with their day. And I didn't even have any awareness that I was doing that, right? Like, I didn't know that that was intrusive. I didn't know. I just know I needed to be heard. I had a big need to be heard. And I, so I often think about like, as leaders in communities of women, how important it is to have compassion, but also really firm boundaries around things like that to demonstrate like, I hear you want to be heard and here's a different way to do it. that will feel better. (laughs) Like it feels better when it's like this. And then that steps out of that victim consciousness that so many women have been conditioned into 
feeling like victims. Like the only thing they can do is talk about it with somebody or, or tell on somebody. Right. right. It's a hard wiring in some ways, but it mm-hmm. can not really hard wiring. It's, it's soft wiring, I guess, because it can be shifted and changed, but we learn that behavior too, from the people around us. Yeah. My and deconditioning is, it is, yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. Your mom's generation, probably like a lot of that going on. I know in Kermit, there was a whole bunch of stuff like that happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's why yeah. my mom left. Well, you know, you're just bringing to mind something. I remember a testimonial I got in the first couple of years that this woman had written something. And at the end of it, she goes, and not a bit of meanness to be found anywhere. And I just thought that was such an interesting way to put it. Well, of course, there's not any meanness. Why would there be? But obviously, that was her experience that there had been in some other places that she had gone. I'll tell you another ground rule. You want to hear another ground rule? Yes, please. Tell us more. there, There was one really big one that there would not be any men in the room. And this is not because I don't like men. I like men. I like men just fine. I have a great guy in the office next door to me right here at our house. However, I had seen women shift and change when there's a man in the midst. And it's more what we do ourselves than what the men are doing. They're just showing up. But women can be triggered. Women can be can start to shrink a bit, start to like not say what they might have said. And I would get really annoyed when I would belong. I would join a women's organization and I would go to a meeting and there would be men there. My feeling was don't call it a women's organization then. Just call it whatever the purpose is. Or they would put a man on the board when there was a perfectly legitimate woman who could have filled that position. That just always annoyed me. So I decided these are my rules about this. And I had some women tell me that, well, you can't do that. They'll sue you. I said, for what? With discrimination. I said, I don't get any government funds. I don't think I have to worry about that. And I have an organization. I question more why a man wants to show up with an organization that's all women, unless he wants to sell them something or he wants to date them. That's a really interesting question, actually. I totally know what you're talking about because I, I went to Smith College for it's an all women's college for anybody mm-hmm. who doesn't know in, in uh, New England. For whatever reason, I chose to go. And I remember the logic was something like, I really don't like women. So I'm going to make myself go be surrounded by women so that I get to like them because I always like men better. And so I went to Smith and I went to Mount Holyoke for interviews. And Mount Holyoke, they were telling me, and it might not be this way anymore, but you know, I was like 19, whatever, 87, right? And they were telling me about, yeah, they're just going to help you find a good mate. Like that was why they were there because they were going to find a good quality man with their pedigree from, you know, Mount Holyoke. And then I went to Smith and they were like, because we're female and we're wild and we're free and we do what we want and we speak our, and I was like, that's my place. I'm going there. I want to be there. And, you know, my mom wanted to go to college there too, but she put me through first because she's a saint and uh, she delayed her own journey there for me. And when I went, it was so interesting. I could just be myself because there were no guys there. And I had a boyfriend the whole way through college, right? But that wasn't distracted by men in the space. And I noticed what a huge difference that made for whether I would raise my hand or not. I was like, ah, I know the yeah, answer. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that from so many women I know who either went to, you know, all girls high schools or or women's colleges that it, it was just a whole different set of issues there that the rest of us are dealing with out there. Did you find that you felt like more part of a sisterhood as a result of that? Did you trust women more when you left or was it the opposite? I learned a lot about women when I was there. And what I learned a lot about myself. And because there weren't any men there, I couldn't play any of the games I had been playing up until then with men. Um, I mean, I did a little bit with my boyfriend, right? Because he was there with me. I would <laughs> lean on him and complain about so-and-so is being mean to me. I'm poor me, poor me, you know all these rich girls and they're so mean to me because I don't have like the same wealth that they have. And I had all the stories, you know, why I was victimized, but I noticed that it was less, it was far less because there wasn't that distraction and I could just focus on my studies and focus on myself. And the friendships that I built were based on true connection. They weren't based on some kind of triangle or something like that. So it was very different. It was a powerful experience. I recommend it for anybody, you know, to experience some time just with women to notice how you might show up differently, right? To get outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And if you really don't like women and you think they're, you know, terrible or whatever, it's good to give yourself that experience. I did. And I, I'm much more aware of women. I think that I have never been totally carefree around women. I guess I'm more carefree now around them because I'm more comfortable in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wasn't one of the cheerleaders. You know, I didn't like bounce around with all my clicky friends. I'm a watcher. 
I watch people and I, I wait to see what they're going to do. I don't project that they're going to do anything bad, but I just keep my awareness open. That's just how I am. But I think that I think that your organization in, in places like this is important for women to have a, a place to go where they can strip away some of the societal noise and tune into themselves. Because if there's men in the room in a networking group, they'll pretty much dominate. That's what they do. And then if you want to have more presence in that environment, you have to play that aggressive masculine game because that whole world operates from aggressive, assertive masculine. Yeah. You have to interrupt. You have to talk louder. Yeah. All that stuff that really isn't necessary in a more balanced environment. One of my pet peeves is people talking over someone else, or if there's a speaker, people talking while the speaker's there, people talking while somebody else has the floor in a meeting. So I was always really kind of preaching that too, that whoever has the floor has the floor. No side talking, raise your hand if you want to say something. That might sound like a classroom, but I have, I have been in other people's meetings where I have shushed people because it's just, and as a speaker, I just find it so disrespectful. I mean, I, I can deal with it. It's not like I get thrown off or anything, but when somebody's just sitting there having a conversation and there's a speaker, it's like, that just has never, but the main reason is that women can shut down if they're trying to speak and somebody else is not paying attention or they're making, you know, we can make up stories about, oh, I must not be doing this right. Or, oh, they don't like me. They're, or they're whispering about me over there. Right. That's the thing I was talking about with the gossip, you know, mm-hmm. because women are not always the most fort, fort right or whatever the word is. Fort real, fort, mm-hmm. Yeah. With their, what's actually going on. They'll kind of like, it's there's the passive aggressive thing is something I always watch for. Because I know if someone's doing that behavior, they're, they're lacking the confidence to stand and speak what they want to say or ask a question. And so they're resorting to this sort of, the need is still needs to be fulfilled, right? The need is still there. It needs to be met. But they're kind of going about it this sideways maneuver mm-hmm. that is disconcerting for anybody else who's just kind of going straight forward. Yeah, I don't judge it though. I know it's um, how I also have been. So I, I understand the insecurity behind it. So making women confident, that's the solution, isn't it, Ginny? Like helping women to become confident and self-assured is the solution for like a whole lot of stuff on the earth, isn't it? I think so. And helping them to be seen and heard and know that the, what they have to say matters, knowing that they have gifts to share. And especially with women entrepreneurs, I mean, so many of us have left lucrative careers or you know benefit-laden positions. And a lot of people in our lives thought we've lost our mind. So women, especially if they're doing something like in holistic professions, they haven't necessarily had a lot of support from the people that they most care about. And so now they're in a group of mainly women entrepreneurs and they're going, oh, wow, okay, I can see. And, oh, you did that. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my my everybody in my life thought I was nuts when I started this and left my career and all of that. So it's this, like, have an identity that they can actually be proud of, even though it's not the identity of the group, it's this individual identity, but they see themselves reflected in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. It's like a place where you belong, where you're accepted, and there is like a general atmosphere of acceptance. Right, right. And that maybe you did make a great choice here. And if you didn't, you're probably smart enough to figure that out. And it's okay. We make mistakes, like a place also where mistakes are okay. Like you can come and Mm -hmm. talk about the mistake. And it's okay if you reveal you didn't have all the answers the first time out. This is one thing that came up for me last week. I was doing, I do these little burn fire ceremonies to burn away what doesn't work for me anymore. And what came up was this fear of making a mistake because I didn't hit it out of the the park the first time out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why do I make myself have to do it perfectly the first time? There's so much pressure. And then if I'm doing that, I'm probably not reaching big enough because I'm, I'm just going a little bit more than I knew before, just so I will do it right the first time instead of just go for it, you know, like go as big as it wants to be and let it be a mistake. If there's a mistake, that's okay. You're going to mess up, mess up big, mess up big, learn from it, (laughs) fail forward. Yeah. And we can do that if we're in safe community and we have support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So is there anything else that you want to just say for anyone who's like an entrepreneur woman, and she's really resonating with the conversation we've had 
Is there something you want to offer her? You know, I know you have meetings going on. You also have the, your book and, and you have a talk show. I mean, I'm, all of that is going to go into the show notes. Is there anything aside from that you want to share with people today? Well, I would invite any woman who wants to just show up and see what we're like to come to one of our meetings. They're all free and they're not all entrepreneurial women. So other women are also welcome. Any woman who can find herself there is welcome to show up. But I think, let's see. Just hold on to this idea that you matter and that what you have to say matters. If you have an idea, if you haven't started doing it yet, but you have this idea, know that you wouldn't be having the idea unless it mattered. Doesn't mean you're going to do it for the rest of your life, but you have to at least try it on and see. Surround yourself with other women who want you to succeed. You know, it doesn't mean you kick everybody out of your life if they don't, but you got to have people around you. I always like to tell women to, you know, keep your dreams kind of close to your chest, unless you have that, you know, everybody needs that one or two friends that you can say anything to, and they'll either go, wow, how can I help you with that? Or they'll say, have you thought this through? But they won't try to talk you out of it, right? I think those, both of those opinions there, but there are other people, and I think they're usually well-meaning, but they're scared to death. They would never do anything like that. So they will try to talk you out of it. They will tell you why it doesn't work. So they're dream stealers. So keep your dreams close to your chest. If you don't have that one or two people that you know you can tell until you are strong in it. And once you're strong in it and you can say it and it doesn't matter what they say, then you know you can share it all over the place. As long as you're not going to be derailed by somebody. I love that Brene Brown quote where she says, unless you're also in the arena, Getting your ass kicked, your feedback is not welcome. So often the biggest criticisms comes from come from people who have never had the courage to step out and do what you're trying to do. So don't listen to them. Yeah. And they're just telling you their own fear matrix. Exactly. You exactly. don't have to take on their fear matrix. That's what they're dealing with. Yeah. They may yeah. have all the stories already. Yeah. Exactly. That's why we self-reference. <laughs> you know, self-referencing is mm-hmm. really important. And it's hard to get there. Especially if it you is. crave validation from others, it's super yeah. hard to be self-referencing, yeah. but you can do it, everybody. You can do it. And if you're in my audience, people, you are already doing stuff that people don't understand. <laughs> you know, like if you're on the frontier, you can't go back and talk to a townsperson about how to be on the frontier. They don't know how to be on the frontier. They wouldn't choose that. You know, so you're the frontiers person. You get to take the journey with spirit and and have all the pieces laid out in front of you and follow the path. And you don't have to do it all by yourself. You can have these places of community. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Jenny. You're so welcome. You know, years ago when I was starting this, I was working with a marketing person who'd also been coming to my meetings. And I just said women. I didn't say women entrepreneurs, women and entrepreneurs are what was showing up. But also all of a sudden I moved, I had like nine locations at one time every month. We had nine nine meetings around the state. And I moved to this location in Columbia, Maryland, which was known for its acupuncture school and some other stuff. It was like the bedrock of holistic whatever. And a lot of women were showing up that did things I didn't even understand. I was like, that sounds even weird. That sounds kind of odd. And I said to her at one of our meetings, I'm kind of concerned because these some of these women are showing up and they're doing things I find really kind of strange. And what if another, what if the Payne Weber woman shows up and, you know, the account <laughs> or the, and they're going to think we're just weird. And she, with all seriousness, she looked at me and she said, can you just be grateful for who's showing up? Okay. Because I was told four or five years earlier by a karmic astrologer. I think I may have told you the story when we chatted. Yeah, I think so. That I would be doing this, but not not the way that I was doing it, but that I should start groups. And I'm like, okay, group what I start. And she said, you can be, you're going to be somebody who could bridge the two worlds. You know, you've got a foot over here in mainstream world. You've got a foot over here because you're with me doing, talking about karmic astrology. You could take, bridge those two worlds so it doesn't seem foreign to people. Yeah. And then, and then create a space where all dreams are welcome. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And we can share and celebrate in the dreams and be inspired by other dreams. And maybe that conversation will inspire some change in your own dream. And mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be hard. It's the other, that's what I want to leave everybody with. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to do it alone. There's people out there that can support you. There's people out there who've done it before. You don't have to pave a new path necessarily, unless what you're doing has never been done before. But That's one of the things I most love about the women who show up for my community is they're generous. They're generous of spirit Mm -hmm. and they don't hold their information close to their chest for fear that somebody might steal a piece of information, you know, 
Yeah. And even if you have the same profession as somebody else, referrals are fine, you know, between mm-hmm. even people in the same profession, because some client might resonate with you more than the other person or the other person more Absolutely. than you. And then they'll hand you somebody else later. It's kind of like, stop being so transactional and be more in trust that the universe has got your back. Mm-hmm. And as we work together, the right people end up in the right places. And while there may be a lot of people who are doing what you do or who have written about what you want to write about, they've never, they've never done it the way you're going to do it. And, you know, it's again, it's that abundance mindset that says there's plenty and, you know, we'll find our own unique people that resonate with us. So there's absolute, that was the other ground rule. We just could not compete with each other. It was no, there's no competition. There's only abundance in this room. Wasn't really a ground rule, but it was a, a spoken and unspoken kind of premise about the universe. So. I love that you started with the Celestine Prophecies. I'm just going to say anybody who's not read that book, go read it. It's really good. And it explains a lot of the principles that are underlying the teachings that I learned in healing training, right? Mm -hmm. With the four winds. So if you just go read that book, it's quite illuminating and follow the light, follow the, your heart, follow the opening, follow what looks like interesting and intriguing and have a conversation. Go go for a visit. Go check out. If you're really inspired by this conversation, go check out the On Purpose Woman Global Community. Go to a, a meeting and meet some people, see how it is. And I know I promised you I would come, Ginny, and I am going to come. And it, this this holiday season was nuts. So I'm sure most <laughs> people out there could agree with me. And yeah, I intend to be there. I'd love to see you anytime, Carrie. Awesome. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us and being with us for this excellent episode. Share it out with anybody that you think might really resonate with this conversation. And when you're doing that, I always suggest that you, you know, if you're going to share it out with somebody, you say, Hey, I had, I had listened to this really great interview about this topic. Would you be interested in watching it too? And get that yes, before you send it, it'll, it'll make it more successful. Like I never, ever, ever want people to send it and be like, you need this because you need to be fixed. <laughs> Like, please don't do that. Yeah. You know, only send it if somebody is really ready for it and they're saying yes. And uh, that way it's a sacred invitation. And I love you guys so much for watching and being with us every week on Soul Nectar Show. And thanks for being on, Ginny. And we're going to give kisses now, everybody. So here comes the kisses. You want to join me in giving everybody kisses? Mm-hmm. Here come the kisses. Mm-hmm. We love you. Yeah. And see you next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now, everyone. Bye. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul Nectar Show. Awaken all seeds Nectar Show. Take a sip from the drip of nectar from the source of who you are. Soul Nectar Show. Yeah. Yeah.